Well, howdy do, Valley Creek. It is good to see you. Hey, listen, can we just give the Lord a round of applause today because he is a good God. And ex, you know, I'll tell you, we, we are so thankful today for the grace of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross and how 2,000 years ago, uh, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son uh, to die for us and that if we believe in him so that we wouldn't perish, so if we believe in him and trust in him, uh, we could be born again. So uh, we are so thankful today to praise and to be able to come and celebrate the goodness of Jesus today. Well, my name is Kenny. I'm so thankful for Brother Scott. Don't you appreciate your pastor, by the way, and his wife? Don't you appreciate them today? And, and so thankful for how God is moving in their lives and what the Lord is doing. On behalf of the Kentucky Baptist Convention, we want to say thank you to Valley Creek Baptist Church for being one of our partner churches and for supporting through the cooperative program when we unite together and we collect it, we, we freely give uh, to the cause of missions because of your cooperative program giving. You are enabling ministries like uh, Clear Creek Bible College and Onita Bible Institute. You are helping Sunrise Children's Services. You are helping all types of MSC Mission Corps missionaries all across the state of Kentucky, such as pregnancy crisis centers and food banks and closed closets all across the state of Kentucky. You are helping to put your Kentucky Baptist Convention staff on the field to be able to come and do trainings for churches and to help churches and to produce resources for churches. Uh, you are doing that. On a, on a national level, you are helping the North American Mission Board to send church planters all across the, the United States in places like New York City and Philadelphia and Chicago and Salt Lake City, and the list goes on and on. And maybe the big one, because you are giving through the cooperative program, you are enabling 3,300 plus international mission board missionaries to be on the field in foreign countries, fully provided for, fully taken care of. They do not have to come home. They do not have to raise support or funding because of churches just like this. Isn't it wonderful when we do things together? So we say thank you on behalf of the, of the Kentucky Baptist Convention for your generous cooperative program support. If you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, I invite you, if you would, to turn to the book of Acts chapter 4. The book of Acts chapter 4. I was told that you folks are entering into a season of, of intentional prayer and calling upon the Lord and looking at 40 days of prayer. I am a believer in prayer. I believe that God moves when we pray. I believe if, if his people that are called by his name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their sin, seek his face, that that's when God sends revival. Historically, God has moved on the prayers of his people. Let me tell you about what happened on September 23rd, 1857. I love New York City with all of my heart. I love New York City. And one of my favorite stories in church history comes from New York City. It was September 23rd, 1857. The old Dutch North Church at Fulton and William Street, modern day, that is near where the Twin Towers fell. Modern That, that church building is no longer there, but it's near that area. There, the church was struggling. The old Dutch North Church was struggling. And they were down to hardly anybody. And one of the last-ditch efforts that they did, they said, man, we've just got to do something. We're about to die. So they called on a man who really we don't know a whole lot about, but his name was Jeremiah 
Lanfear was his name. And they hired him as a city missionary. And they said, Jeremiah, we want you to do whatever it takes to reach the people of this community for the gospel. So Jeremiah tried all types of things and nothing was happening. Hearts were hardened all around. So Jeremiah Lanfear, that young man, said, I don't know what else to do. I've tried everything. So let's just do a, a lunchtime prayer meeting. So he made up some flyers, which, by the way, in 1857, pre-Civil War, that was no small feat. Right? Anybody thankful for Xerox machines today, okay? So that was no small feat in 1857, and he made up some flyers, and he began to distribute them around Manhattan and lower Manhattan area. And they called for a prayer meeting. And on that particular day at lunchtime, nobody showed up. Nobody came. So he decided to pray anyway. And by the time that he had gotten them praying there in the auditorium of the old Dutch North Church at the corner of Fulton and William Street in New York City, five other people had joined them, making a total of six people that had come to pray. And they really felt the Lord's power in that meeting. So they decided to do the same thing the next week. And as they did, more people came just for prayer. And they decided to keep it going. And, and as they did, more people came for prayer. And more people came for prayer until the entire church was full of people praying and calling upon the Lord. And then they had to extend it out. They had to open up other churches in New York City just for lunchtime prayer. There's one story that's told that, that and they had an order to it. They had, they had order. They had guardrails on it. You would read a prayer. You'd pass a prayer request up front. Somebody would read it, and then somebody would stand up and pray for that prayer request. One of the stories from those meetings said that somebody had passed a note up, and it was an anonymous note, and it said, pray for my husband. He needs to be saved. So they read that out loud. We have an anonymous person that says, pray for my husband. They need to be saved. And all of a sudden, somebody over here stood up and they said, oh, that must be my wife. She's been praying for me to be saved. And right now, I repent of my sin and give my life to Jesus. And as soon as he sat down, somebody over here stood up and said, no, 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 that's my wife because she's been praying for me to get saved. And I repent of my sin and give my life to Jesus. And all across these prayer meetings in New York City in 1857, God was moving in a tremendous way. It spread out of New York City into the New England area all the way down, as some reports would say, into southern Ohio. By the end of that prayer movement, the most conservative effort, the most conservative efforts of reporting said that at the most conservative, at least 300,000 people accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior because of the prayer movement of God. More generous statements would say that over a million people accepted Jesus as a result of the prayer movement of God. What happened just a few, a few short years later? Anybody know? The Civil War happened. How many people went into glory during the Civil War days because a man by the name of Jeremiah Lanfear called people to pray? That was the last great movement of God, national movement that we've had in our country. And it all began with really an insignificant man calling people to pray. I believe with all my heart, you can have the sharpest technology, you can have, you can have the greatest speakers, you can have um, all the resources in the world. 
But if you don't have a praying church, you will have no power in your church. If a church does not pray, it will be a powerless church. So today the challenge is this. Will the Valley Creek Baptist Church be a praying church? Church. Let's stand to read God's word. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23. Let's stand as we honor God's holy and errant infallible word this morning. I'm going to read it and then give you the context. Verse 23 After they were released, that's Peter and John. After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices to God together. They raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your will have predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus." When they had prayed, I love this, look at this. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Father, thank you for the scriptures today. May you bless it. Help me to preach it faithfully and within context. And Lord, today, open up our hearts and God, draw us back to being a people of prayer. Father, if there are folks here today as Christians that have not bowed their knees physically to you in their homes and, their, and on a daily basis, God, may you, Lord, begin to just draw them back to calling upon your name. And God, may you help this church, Lord, to seek your will, your direction, your guidance as a praying church. Father, if there be one today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, today I pray that they would call upon you and give their life to you and be born again. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people prayed together. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Let me give you the context. Jesus has went to the cross. He has died. He has been buried. He has raised from the dead. He has ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit has fallen upon the believers. And the church has begun. That's the context that we're in. The church has begun. Peter and John go into the temple for a time of prayer. And as they go into the temple for a time of prayer, there is a lame man there, a man that can't walk. And through a miraculous intervention of the Lord, that guy's healed. He's, he's, brought, he's brought back to his feet. And it causes quite the, the, the ruckus there at the temple. And as a result of that, they begin to preach the gospel right there in the temple complex because this guy was healed. Well, Newsflash, if you begin to preach the gospel in the Jewish temple, you're, you may draw the attention of the authorities. You think so? You think so? Well, they did. And as a result of that, they got hauled in by the, by the bosses, and they were scolded, they were reprimanded, and it was really kind of ugly, and they threatened Peter and John. They said, guys, you will stop this right now. You will stop telling people 
about Jesus. And by the way, I love what Peter says. He says, hey, listen, you judge whether it's right or wrong. Listen, I'm going to tell you, we ain't going to stop telling you about people about Jesus, okay? We're not going to stop. And that's what they tell the religious leaders. And they threaten them. And they say, if you don't stop, we'll hurt you. And they release them. Why do they release them? Because they were such a public crowd that saw everything. And they, would, they knew they had to do that for political reasons. So they, they released them. But when Peter and John go back to the early church, they know this is serious. They know that persecution is coming. And by the way, you don't have to go very far, just a couple more chapters, and they get stripes laid on their back because they don't stop preaching. They don't stop sharing the gospel. But when they go back and report, what do they do? Serious threats, serious danger, serious problems. What do they do? They pray. And they call upon the Lord. And they ask the Lord for his guidance, his protection. And what I want us to see today is what a praying church looks like. When we become a praying church, when we become a church that regularly calls upon the Lord, regularly seeks the face of God, regularly interacts with the Holy Spirit of the Lord, what does that look like? What happens when we become a praying church? Let's look at the text. Three things I want you to see this morning of what happens when we become a praying church. First, number one, a praying church submits to God. When a church begins to learn how to pray, and they begin to learn how to call upon the Lord, their spirit becomes submissive to God, meaning that they are willing to do whatever the Lord asks them to do. We will often become stiff-hearted and resistant to the will of God if we are prayerless. If we don't pray, we won't do what God tells us to do. Look at verse 23. Just notice the language. After they were released, they went to their own people, reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Look here. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God. So there is corporate prayer. There is definitely a teaching in Scripture where we pray together. Now, we, we obviously pray individually, but we should also pray together. Y'all with me on that? There should be corporate prayer as a church. And just notice what they say. They address God as master. You're the one who made the heaven and the earth. They, they, they quote scripture. They pray scripture. They talk about how in the Old Testament that it would be prophesied that Gentiles would come against them, that kings would come against them, that even Jesus would be crucified and hurt by, by people that were against them. And by the way, as they were praying this, they were in the same city that Jesus was killed in. Now you think about that. That was the same city um, he says, for in fact, verse 27, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your will are predestined to take place. Here's what they do. They, they have a serious threat, and they come back together as a church. They don't complain. They don't freak out. They don't get nervous. What do they do? They pray. They seek God. They do not call a select committee to investigate the serious threats of the religious leaders and then to report back at the next regularly scheduled business meeting. <laughs> That's not what they do. 
They call upon the Lord. And just notice what they do is they call, they, they acknowledge in that prayer. You can see it. They acknowledge that God is creator. He's the maker of all things. They acknowledge that he's in control or that he's sovereign. They, they talk about how the, the scriptures have prophesied that they would be hurt. They, they, they mention that in their prayer. They even call God master and they say, you know what, Lord? Jesus was crucified in this city. We understand that we too may be hurt because we're following you. Why should we expect anything less than what happened to Jesus? And that was their prayer. They prayed and was willing to accept whatever the Lord wanted them to do. Now, do we treat prayer like that? God, I'll do whatever you want. Lord, I'm submissive to your will. Lord, and by the way, you know the Lord's Prayer? Remember how that goes? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be. It does not say my will be done, does it? Thy will be done. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. Thy will, your will. It's what you want. Listen to this. Warren Wearsby, that great commentator that every Baptist preacher loves, okay? He says this. True prayer is not telling God, listen, true prayer is not telling God what to do, but asking God to do his will in us and through us. Listen to this. It means getting God's will done on earth, not man's will done in heaven. Woo! We don't pray that way, do we? Especially when you listen to the TV preachers that say, oh, if you just have enough faith, you'll never get sick. You'll have all the money you want. You just name it and claim it, blah, 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 blah. Hey, can I tell you something? That is a false teaching. That is a false teaching. The health and wealth gospel is no gospel at all. The apostles were willing to accept from the hand of God persecution, suffering, and death if that was the Lord's will. Should we be willing to accept persecution, and death for the cause of the gospel. Here's the deal. You won't if you don't what? Pray. You have to pray. So a praying church that is drawing close to the Lord, seeking the face of God, interacting with the Lord, will be submissive to God's will. But number two, a praying church evangelizes. A praying church gets the job done for the gospel. The, a praying church shares the good news of Jesus. Now look at verse 29. They, they, they acknowledge that God's in control. And in verse 29, they say, and now, Lord, consider their threats. They know they're going to get in trouble for doing this. They know that. They know this is going to be hard. They know that. It's going to be hard. And they ask God, Lord, consider their threats. But notice what they say next. And God, please strike them with lightning and send a plague on all their children and kill them and get them out of our hair. Is that what he says? Lord, please just make it really easy for us. Is that what he says? Lord, we would really appreciate it if, uh, you know, they'd just leave us alone. Is that what they say? No, they say consider their threats and what? Grant that your servants... Continue to speak what? Your word with what? Woo! 
Check it before you wreck it. What do they do? They say, God, this is going to be really, really hard. It's going to be really, really tough. But Lord, they're serious. Help us. But God, give us the boldness to preach. Lord, make us the energizer bunny for Jesus, where we just keep going and going and going and going for the gospel. See, when we begin to get close to Jesus and we begin to interact with the Lord and we trust in God and we understand that we're communing with God, hey, man, he puts a burden in our heart to tell other people about Jesus. You know, the church is a lighthouse for the community. Did you know that? And this lighthouse needs to shine all over this community. It needs to shine all over Hardin County, helping people to know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody comes to the Father unless they come through Jesus Christ. They need to hear that from who? Valley Creek Baptist Church, amen? So how will a church become evangelistic? Well, here's the thing. One of my, my, one of my roles at KBC is to help churches evangelize. Man, that's hard, okay? You know, how do you do that? But here's what I can tell you. No matter how many strategies you have, resources you have, materials you have, trainings that I've led, no matter how much of that you have, evangelism at its heart is spiritual. It's spiritual. And if you are not communing with God and spending time with the Lord, you will not have the drive and the passion and the desire to tell other people about Jesus. How many of you all have grandkids? How many of you all have a hard time bragging on your grandkids? <laughs> Didn't think so. Why? Because you what? You love your grandbabies, right? And you know what happens when you spend time with God? You fall more and more in love with Jesus, amen? And the more in love with Jesus you are, guess what? The less of a problem you have telling people about who? Jesus. See, when we begin to pray and just are becoming grateful for our salvation and grateful for his grace and grateful for his love that he suffered and died on the cross and rose again and the spirit of God lives in us, oh my goodness, the more time we spend with him, the more prone we are to tell people about Jesus. Amen? So a praying church evangelizes. A praying church tells people about the gospel. But number three, a praying church glorifies Christ. A praying church glorifies Christ. Now, they mentioned, Lord, give us, consider their threats, give us the boldness to preach. And then verse 30, while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they ask for their boldness to, to preach the gospel. But then they also pray, Lord, empower us with the Spirit to get the job done so that your name will be glorified. You know, continue to heal people, continue to save people, continue to do stuff for the cause and glory of Jesus Christ. They ask for more miracles, they ask for more signs, they ask for more wonders, but particularly for the reason that Christ would be what? Glorified. That the name of Jesus would be glorified. They ask in the name of Jesus for the glory of Jesus. 
When we pray, our end result of our prayer should always be that Christ be glorified. And glorified means lifted up, exalted. It means that Jesus is, is put in his right place, that Christ is magnified. So when we pray as a church, it should always be for the glory of God. It should always be for Jesus to be magnified. We should pray that God is, is magnified in our home, that God is magnified in our career, that God is magnified in our job, in our calling. We should pray that God is magnified in the way that we treat people and the way that we treat each other as a church family. We should pray that God is glorified in our community, in our church, in our nation, that God is lifted high. A prayerless church is very prone to be a selfish church. Did you know that? Because when you, seek, when you stop seeking the Lord and you stop seeking his plans and you stop praying your will be done, you start praying my will be done. And that creates all kinds of problems within the local church. Amen or oh me? All kinds. For real, like when people get mad about carpet color or paint color or the service is too short, the service is too long, I don't like this song, I don't like that song, it's too loud, it's too, too, too quiet, it's too cold, it's too hot, yada, yada, yada. Stop for a second. You've just made the church about who? You. You. Well, I didn't like this. I didn't like that. Hey, listen. It ain't, listen, I love you. I love you. But just go ahead and look at your neighbor. Go, turn around and look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor and repeat after me. It just ain't about you. <laughs> it just not. It just ain't. I love Kentucky because I can speak in my Kentucky fried language. It just ain't about you. It's about who, church? Jesus. And when we begin to pray and call upon the name of the Lord, guess what? It becomes about who? Jesus. It becomes about Jesus. And isn't that the sweetest name, church? The name of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Now, listen, in closing, you got to be careful, Brother Scott, when a Baptist preacher says in closing because nobody believes it, okay? But in closing, let me just say this. When they get done praying, what does the Bible say? The place was what? Now listen, commentators really do disagree on this. Some will say that when they said amen, that there was literally an earthquake that shook the place. Some say that. Some say that the shaking was a spiritual shaking because the next verse or the next phrase says that they went out with boldness. Could have been both, amen? Now, wouldn't that be something? Somebody, Brother Scott, says amen one Sunday it shakes and y'all go out and tell everybody about Jesus. That'd be awesome. Be awesome. But here's what we know. Regardless of an earthquake happened or it didn't happen, they were definitely on fire for the Lord, weren't they? And they went out there and told everybody about Jesus because they prayed. They prayed. And by the way, they got in trouble. They got whipped. They did. They did. But they still did it because of the glory of God. A praying church, oh, man, God will shake you if you pray. 
He'll shake you. He'll change you. He'll rearrange you. Let me just say this. Don't grow cold when it comes to prayer time. It was so encouraging. Wasn't Scott to see people down? Wasn't that encouraging to see people at the altar praying this morning? You know, there some churches think that if you come to the altar, that means that you've got some sort of sin in your life, and you got, and you know, sometimes you do. But oh my goodness, when we stand before the glory of God, do you think we're going to be on our? You think we're actually going to stand before the glory of God? You're going to be on your face when you see the Lord. You're going to be on your knees before God. And you know what? I think that's a good practice to go ahead and start while we're on earth, don't you? And you know what? When we gather, when that altar call is given, oh, church, hear me. Pray every time you get a chance to. Don't you be afraid to come to the altar. Don't you be afraid to call upon God. Don't you be afraid to get on your knees. Do that as a church. But the second challenge is this, and then I'm done. Do it in your home, too. Have a daily quiet time when you are on your knees in your prayer closet, at your bed, or somewhere where you're calling on the Lord, where you're calling upon God. You may say, well, Kenny, I can't do that because I've never called upon God in my life. My friend, if you've never called upon Jesus today, then that, you're not saved. You're not born again. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, the very first prayer that you need to pray is this type of prayer. Lord, I'm a sinner, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, and I give my life to you today. I, I commit my life to you. If you've never done that today, would you give your life to Jesus? And for the, and for the believers in the house, would you make the commitment to be a praying church. I'm going to ask if our praise team would come, if Brother Scott would come. You may today need to be prayed over. You may have a need or a burden in your life that you need your pastor to pray over with you. Um, you may need to come as a family today and pray for God's will to be done in your life. However the Lord is leading you today, would you be responsive? Our band is going to begin to, to play. Brother Scott will be here. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, for your grace, your goodness. In this moment now, how I pray that this church would be a praying church that calls upon the name of the Lord. And if there be one today that's never given their life to Jesus, may they come today and surrender their hearts and lives to you and be born again. We thank you for Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.